Hello, everyone. You're welcome to the Completely Machinima Podcast. I'm Ricky Grove. I'm here with my friends Damian Valentine, Tracy Harwood, and the inimitable Phil Rice. Hello, Phil. Hello. Hello. Uh, Hello. We are starting our third season, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Can you believe it? We've been around for three years now. Uh, this is our January uh, series. We're going to be going through our uh, individual picks for films this month. All of them are unique and interesting. Uh, don't forget to check out our blog. Our news has moved to our blog, and there's some really, really interesting uh, uh, blog posts on various aspects of technology as it relates to machinima. I've uh, posted one that's coming out. Uh, for, uh, well, by this time, it'll already have come out about um, ray tracing and classic games like Doom and Quake. Really, really interesting. Uh, speaking of games, I have uh, started playing the original Diablo again. <laughs> uh, not not remastered, not ray traced, but it's a very interesting experience to go through all of that again, having spent so much time with it as, as a kid. I did some quick checking and I, other than a 2D series, a very funny 2D series on Diablo, I haven't seen any machinima down from it. So um, that's kind of interesting. Maybe somebody a lot there will be uh, uh, inspired to go out and give it a try. Is anybody else playing any inter interesting games right now? Um, I'm still playing through the Lego Skywalker saga, ah. which came out back in April. And even though it's a Lego game, it's mainly aimed for kids. It's a huge open world game. There's so much to do in it. And yeah. I haven't done it all yet. And they've released a new DLC with extra characters to play around with. So I've been looking at those and having some fun with that. Yeah. Phil, I'm Tracy, either of you have any time to Zomboid. play games? Yeah, Project Zomboid, which is a retro feel game that's still actually currently in development. Uh, just love it. It's basically like The Sims with really hard R-rated violence. <laughs> Perfect. I might Perfect. look that up. Uh, sorry Tracy, to say, yeah, have no, I haven't had a chance this year. It's been crazy. Yeah. Lots of stuff, but I promise I will do some next year. This yeah, year. do something. This year, I mean, even. even if it's just a little bit of time. One thing is that game playing does eat into a lot of time. So if you're a very busy person, it tends to go low on the priority. But there's just something about playing as an adult, which is, I think, a really good thing. Definitely give it a go. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on. We've, as I said, there's plenty of interesting news at our blog, and we do our uh, film picks here. And our first film pick uh, is from Tracy. And boy, she has chosen a very unique film. Tell us about it, Tracy. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so this is The Voice in the Hollow by Half Empty Studios, which was released uh, on the 16th of November last year. Uh, it's been rendered in Unreal Engine 5 and was written, directed, and designed by husband and wife team Miguel Ortega and Tran Ma, um, supported by their studio colleagues. The work was produced by Noman, um, which is one of the top VFX studios in the US based in Hollywood, where Ma actually teaches and Ortega graduated. I understand the studio started as a side project, although the work they've uh, both done in the past is impressive. Um, they have been uh, character modelers and VFX artists on films such as Thor, um, Fantastic Four and 300, as well as games, and have worked also for a number of um, well-known studios. So they... Uh, as I understand it, they've also won um, uh, various festival awards for their short, The Nino. Um, so I would say these guys clearly have craft. Uh, indeed, they have been described by somebody called Scott Beggs, who's a film writer for Vanity Fair, as being at the forefront of indie CGI. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting here is that Ortega and Ma describe themselves as inexperienced users of Unreal Engine, although... Um, they were part of the Autumn 2020 Unreal Fellowship Programme. I had a look through some of their work um, and the piece they did for the fellowship played with that kind of cavern idea that's explored in this film. And the Nino also included themes of exploration, mythical creature hunting and moral conundrums. So there's a clear kind of creative trajectory being explored. And, and for this film, um, I think they 
specifically set out to to extrapolate that, but also to uh, complete a, a project in six months um, from scratch using mocap as well. Um, so to this particular film, Voice in the Hollow, this is described as an African fable of sisterhood, envy and ancient evil. Um, there's a classic moral tale being told through this work, which is spoken in, I believe, Tanzanian um, Swahili. Uh, indeed, the main characters are voiced by Tanzanian and Kenyan actors, Janet Makungo, Rosalie Akinyi, Goodluck Gabriel and Brian Skikuyu. Um, but I would say that actually, in my limited experience of the subcontinent, it doesn't feel wholly African in its portrayal, even though some of the landscapes clearly are. And in places, I got a, a kind of a distinct sense of other ancient races, like um, like indigenous peoples of America, through, through some of the sort of face shapes, for example. So it kind of caught my attention as being a rather intriguing mix. And of course, the story has quite a brutal beginning and an even more shocking ending. Um, it's not for kids, even though it's about coming of age. So it turns out, as I was looking through um, the, the bit of the backstory for this, that Ortega and Marr, have filmed the entire process of making this short. And that material is actually freely available on YouTube on the Noman channel. And it's actually 90, can you believe this, 90 hours worth of content. Oh boy. So it's by no means for the faint-hearted. Now, of course, I have only watched snippets, um, but the bit I wanted to find out, uh, out about actually, was how they devised the voice components, um, but I actually gave up looking for that after a while. Um, what I did pick up on, though, is that the inspiration for the film came from a couple of ideas. Firstly, they wanted to tell an origins tale in the vein of Cain and Abel, no sci-fi, uh, using Paleo-Indians to represent ancient humans. Secondly, uh, that tale uh, had been informed by their experience in the Moaning Caverns Park in California, which is where they filmed some of the content for the Nino it turns out that the caverns have a bit of a history of leading people to their death because when the wind blows in a certain direction, it sounds like a child's voice. And over the years, people were drawn um, drawn into this uh, cave system, trying to rescue this child they thought was in trouble. But actually, it led them to fall into this very deep pit. And then uh, years later, when the cavern was excavated in the early 1900s, among the dozens of smashed skeletons they found at the bottom of this 250-foot drop was the skeleton, believe it or not, of a female child aged, um, uh, dated back to about 10,000 years. So there you go. The story kind of builds on some, I think, some very interesting creative processes. Right, right. Now, because of the limited skills they felt they had with Unreal, they decided not to attempt to do photorealistic aesthetics, but ended up, um, with this sort of clay-like and hand-painted stylized effect that you see in the film. And in fact, that's quite interesting because the main reason seems to be that they felt they had no craft with hair. Um, it was a challenge just too far for them in Unreal. So instead of the indigenous look they'd originally wanted to apply, they went more towards East African cultures and hairstyles, which they said lent themselves um, to using a more faceted and carved look. So this sort of stylized effect is actually a, a decision really of pragmatism now overall i kind of really enjoyed this i love the the muted and ancient colors and the stylized effect and the kind of mystical darkness of the tale it's really a proper fairy tale i think ricky um the soundscape was a good match but there was quite a lot of cultural appropriation going on i think the voices were an interesting choice but the origin of swahili actually doesn't really match the story of tribal habituation that you see in the film uh, and the leopard tribe is actually more associated with West African nations. Um, so there are really quite a lot of interesting aesthetic choices going on here. But overall, I think the fable aspect of it is certainly um, very strongly portrayed, at least from my perspective. So there you go. What did you think to it? I am. Um, what you were saying about they felt they were inexperienced. And so that's why they went for the stylized look. I think that was a huge thing for the benefit of the film. Um, because it stands out from yeah. We've, yeah we've looked at many unreal five uh films over the last year or so and they all go for that very photorealistic uh, characters look the detailed faces that animated really well and uh, and all of that kind of stuff and 
that's all great but this stands out as something completely different and unique and i think that shows that they i think they understand unreal a lot better than they think they do yeah, and yeah. probably even more so than the people who go for the photorealistic um style because that's what unreal is designed for it's designed for photorealism so it takes more skill to produce a stylized look because you have to figure out what that stylized image is going to be because if you're going photorealistic you know what the people are going to look like they're going to look like we do um so if you're doing stylized images you have to spend time thinking well how what shapes their head's going to be how are they going to move um uh what kind of animation how their face is going to animate you know like to the eyebrows go exaggerated or what you know um so yeah i think that they're, they're really talented to uh to, to uh to uh filmmakers there and um I really enjoyed the story and it's kind of you're right it's very dark and there's kind of this horror element to it which I, I really enjoyed I did not expect it when I started watching it um but yeah you can see that they've spent a lot of time on it and uh, I'm quite intrigued to see the the 90 uh, hours of behind the scenes I don't think I could watch all of it but no. <laughs> <laughs> quite. I, I'm gonna have to check that out at some point and yeah, yeah. Um, see what I can learn from them because obviously they've got a lot of uh talent there which is worth having a look at mm, absolutely yep yeah i i want to see a feature-length film in this style i mean what however they arrived at it you know some some features pragmatic and and some i think just deliberate choices but it's it's just an absolutely enchanting and mesmerizing world that they've presented here um yeah, I, yeah. I am not at all scholarly about what comes from which parts of Africa and whatnot. So that didn't, it didn't jar me. I didn't get any appropriation vibes at all. To me, mm -hmm. it just, there was this real sense of this is an old world that this is taking place in. Um, and, you know, arguably to some degree, you know, it's going to have origins that, that look a bit mixed or, or different to, to us if that's what you're trying to portray because no one really knows what that was like yeah. we just have the echoes of it in the present you know so um i thought the voice acting even if the again the, the choice of language didn't uh jar me because i'm ignorant but i thought the performance was fantastic the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. audio the acting uh in the voices oh yeah. just just delicious and then, yeah, this this kind of archetypal Cain and Abel type of story. Uh -huh. um, just wow, you know, and and then to do an archetypal story, but have it not be exactly the outcome of that original story, which I won't spoil. But I mean, just whew, it was so good. And I, I could not take my eyes off the screen from from the moment it began right, right. Um, right up until the end. Um, the horror elements were very effective. Um, I love that they didn't try to answer very many questions there. Tracy, that that origin story of like, or their inspiration story of that real mm. cave. My goodness. Yeah. What a gold mine that is. I, I can see yeah. Lisa Burton totally just writing <laughs> this amazing story based on that as like a found thing. Right, Ricky? I mean, it's just, it's just... Yes so rich that whole idea and what, uh -huh. what what you determined was uh what you discovered was discovered there mm. wow so um yeah i i i want to see more from these people um the, these creators it's just it's just wonderful and and it's good uh -huh. on a level that's like almost almost discouraging and i don't mean that in like a <laughs> yes i know what you way, mean yeah. like one of those is just Good grief! Six months. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. and what army? You know, yeah, amazing, yeah. an amazing achievement. And uh, I, I hope to see more. Um, yeah. Even if it's not this particular world, uh, boy, what a sense of style and yeah. quality uh, these creators have. It's, it's yeah. just it, it knocked my socks off. Yeah, motion capture was just as good as the acting mm -hmm. and uh, the craft of it. And so the combination of all of those made it so believable. Hmm. The motion capture in particular caught these subtle uh, nonverbal responses by the mm -hmm. characters, which I thought was 
pretty neat you know the sister typical sisters reacting to each other you know it was just marvelous um the style perfectly matched the story i was also glad to see that it was um different than so many animated films and which features white characters and somewhat predictable situations you know what i mean yes this was unusual and interesting to hear that it was partially based on the kin and abel um biblical story is not surprising to me uh it make absolute sense however there are several thoughts i have about it. i've been thinking about this a lot i have the same enthusiasm you have phil and tracy and damien for the film i want to see more by these people i think they're so good and to do it in such a short amount of time it's just fantastic however it shows the weakness of VFX people working on a film because so often the story is the most neglected part of the process because it's not one that they're as familiar with. They're familiar with putting together, you know, animation and motion capture and putting all of that together. And that was just brilliant. It's top level professional, but there were so, so many glaring flaws in the story. And let me put it to you this way. You have a, a village a primitive village of hunters and gatherers. And they're prob- they're very tribal and very fierce. They want to protect themselves. And yet within a short walk, there is a hollow in which a horrible a- ancient evil is in this hollow. Don't you think that they would either A, not put a village that's that close to such a terrible threat or B, make it an absolute um uh, block for anybody going near especially children or put up obstacles to keep children and anybody from going near it and yet it shows that what this hollow this somewhat evil spirit isn't a character it's a device it's the device in order to keep the young woman who ends up tragically committing a a horrible act to make her still sympathetic because you she can always claim or the 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 viewer in the story can always say that well it wasn't her fault it was temptation by this evil spirit you know what i mean no background for the evil spirit no idea who it is what it is you never see it so it's really a device because they can't do what the original fable did, which was one of the brothers slew the other brother because he wanted to. They can't have the sister committing a horrible act on the other sister because she was furious and angry because that keeps her from being sympathetic. And above all in animated films, and in films in general, in Hollywood, you absolutely have to have sympathetic characters. You have to have empathy. There's no way around it. Well, if they, if you go back to their original inspiration of this, this huge cave, that would have been a better choice than some sort of generalized evil spirit that affects them and tempts them. If it was actually a cave that was farther away and they got away, you know, they went further than they ever have before. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it was not believable. None of that was believable. And it spoiled a bit of the movie for me because the story was so that they couldn't see this obvious <laughs> hole in their, in their storytelling shows me that their real emphasis was on the VFX and the look and the, the style of everything. And the very fact that none of us, you know, that we all go, well, we just sort of accept that. We accept that limitation and and, uh, weakness in the story because everything else was so good. Well, I don't. I think it's a problem and they should have fixed that. And it made it hard for me to become completely involved in the film in a way that I wanted to. So... That's my take on the whole thing. And lastly, the thing I want to say is that, and I'd like to discuss this a little more with all of you. 
Unreal has brought in a certain level of technique and craft that is vastly different from the general run of machinima filmmakers. This could easily be put on a major television show. It could be made into a feature film with more money and more uh, time and a bigger staff. And it would certainly pass. It would win, win awards. It's so mm -hmm. good. But it's not your typical machinima film because most machinima filmmakers are not going to have those skills and able to put that together. Yeah, they can make things look nice. They can put together an interesting film, but it's not going to be of this quality because machinima traditionally has had the, the sort of three elements, which was fast, cheap, and fun. Now they've captured the fun element and they've kind of captured the fast element because it's certainly faster than most traditional professional films, but six months is way too much to put to spend on a machinima film for, for the most part. I mean, actual production, not just conceptualizing it over a period of time. Um, so my question is, with the Unreal videos and with the rise of Unreal type videos, are we getting further and further away from everyday filmmakers and emphasizing more and more the professional level of filmmaking? And is that a problem for the machinima community in a wider sense? It's a great question. <laughs> yeah, my question is, 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 is it the filmmakers doing that or is it the audience expectation? What I'm reminded of is uh, Damien telling, maybe even you told this on the show or maybe just you and I were, we were all talking, but you, you told me about at one point you put uh, Chronicles of Humanity on uh, Amazon's yeah. streaming service. And that, which is, I mean, machinima by every definition. And uh, I mean, it was just brutalized in the reviews, mainly for the visual uh, um, primitiveness of it compared to, you know, something Crow made like this. Oh, it's, for, for our audience, that was made with Movie Storm, which doesn't really exist anymore. But just to give you an idea of what that kind of animation style, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. And Movie Peter Storm, Rasmussen's Storm had like Sims level graphics, but not as good as as that. Yeah, <laughs> better better control of your animations, but the visual quality uh, is low grade by today's standards. Um, so yeah, that's that's. That's a challenge, I think, that, you know, the the audience, the typical audience that when we began this thing 20 something years ago, uh, very different eyes that we were making content for. And what I'm wondering is, um, is there still a significant audience for the, the quick and dirty stuff or are they all, uh, you know, on TikTok now? where you yeah. can really do stuff quick and quality really doesn't matter, you know? So I think the audience tough. exists for both. So the problem I had with Amazon is, because I made it with Movie Storm, you, if I, when I put it on the Movie Storm forums, people there loved it because it's made with the software that they use. They're familiar with all the glitches and the, um, the way that it works. And, and so they loved it because it's something that hadn't been seen before. But when you put it somewhere like Amazon, where people go on Amazon to watch professional made stuff like Disney or um, whatever. Um, so they're comparing what I made in my bedroom with Movie Storm to these professional high budget shows that they've also seen. And of course, I'm not going to be able to compete with that with Movie Storm because that's just not the way it is. And um, if I made something with Movie Storm now, I'm sure that, that those are the members of our community who are familiar with the software, or at least aware of it, or aware of using older games to make machinima, they would still enjoy it. But if I put it on YouTube, I'm sure it would get ripped to pieces by the uh, people who are just used to the, the non-machinima community who just used to different levels of um, production values 
Yeah. I think one thing that uh, occurs to me as you're talking there, Damon, and I think you're right, is that in the past, the early machinima, we had specific audiences that you could make uh, films for. This is partially what a reemphasis of what Phil is saying, which is the audiences have changed. Mm. Um, but the movie storm audience would be the best audience for that. Yeah. Um, now those communities have all, they, not all of them have, have splintered and fragmented, but I think there's a wider range of people watching machinima and uh, Unreal has brought a level of professionalism and craft to a much higher level. I mean, simply by knowing how to use Unreal to make a film, you have to have a certain level of craft that you don't have to have in Movie Storm. Because that's not, it's not, this Movie Storm was designed for people who want to make things quick and fun. Mm -hmm. Unreal mm -hmm. is not made for people who want to make something quick and fun. I mean, this movie, the Ortega Voice in the Hollow, was made by a fair, a medium-sized team of people who mm -hmm. met together with no other job than to make this film. Right. Whereas Phil, you make a movie, but you also have a forty-hour work week at your business, and many other interests, and a family to, <laughs> and a family to raise. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's a whole different ball game, and I I just want to make sure that we in our in our year this season three that we real remember that the that there are different kinds of machinima, and this particular film is of the very highest quality, except for the story side of it. Yeah, and um, I think we should remember that, and I am personally going to work to bring in more typical machinima which is um made quick fast cheap and for fun well good yeah good well i mean there's one thing or a couple of things i've got a few things i want to say actually but sure. i always remember uh you know years ago um the you know when i whenever i presented machinima work in um festivals it always um the audience never knew what to make of it really and it reminds me very much of um the reaction to Peter Rasmussen's film. Do you remember Stolen Life? Oh, Abs yeah. Absolutely. A really, really well-crafted tale, but with really kind of what we'd probably call now low-poly graphics. And it that was first shown in a theatre in front of a film audience. Oh, and uh, they hated it. They absolutely hated it. Although they very quickly got into the story and then started to forget about the aesthetics that were on the screen, they really did not enjoy the aesthetics. And it occurred to me over a period of time that really what we're doing here is showing, you know, stuff that's made in one form to an audience that only really understands a different form. So they're never gonna kind of make sense of it because it's made, it's it's because it's a very different um, form. That's That was always the issue with it really. I think the fact that um, people that were used to, 3D, you know, 3D environments either through play or watching it on YouTube or in gamer communities and whatnot. We're very yeah. used to seeing that. Your standard audience just watching any kind of streamed content just is not used to it and probably still isn't, In even though what we're now looking at. I mean, this is what the, the kickback is for Unreal in, in virtual production arenas too, the fact that people are not used to thinking about films as potentially alternate reality environments that they can you know create multiple different types of content in they're only now coming to terms with it even though it's been around a very long time mm -hmm. so that's one that's one thing I wanted to say but I wanted to just sort of pick you up if I can on some of the other kind of comments that you made and um you know when we when we look at the films that we have over the past year what you can you can certainly sort of say that uh, the good films that we've reviewed, I don't think have ever been created in a super fast way in the in the way that old style machinima creations were. I think the thought processes um, that have gone into the story, the development of the assets and the scenes, and then the filming and the post production, even even when they've been made in game, none of that has been done quickly. 
So I would challenge you on what, what you mean by quickly in that context. And then to your other point about cheaply, I think a lot of people have gone quite techie now with the tools, whatever those uh, tools and software are. And I would say that it's probably also no longer quite as cheap as it was to create content. Because, you know, there were some quick quick fixes that you could kind of tap into, but now folks are buying all sorts of bits and pieces. So I don't think that's true anymore. However you, you know, whatever the, the game basis is uh, um, that you create Machinima in, it's, I don't think it is cheap anymore. And then your point about fun, and I just wonder what you mean by fun. Do you mean fun as in playing the game and sharing new stories related to that game with the community or fun as in sharing content on YouTube and deriving some income from the process and then dealing with the sort of pseudo fame in the so-called influencer network or fun as in pitting your creative skills against others in a contest or a festival environment. So pushing yourself to make new things in different ways. Because I think Machinima was all of those things. Um, and I don't think the basic elements of those, um, well, I don't think they've changed. I think they're still there. Um, but I think it is, the, the, you know, the game aspect of things that's actually changing. I think one of the biggest challenges um, has been what happens to a film once it's released, whether the IP original owners pick it up and claim any aspect of it uh, may have violated whatever their T's and C's are. And we've definitely seen some difficulties for a good number of creators over the years on YouTube as it kind of seems to change its rules and algorithm, like most folks kind of change their underwear, basically. And alongside that, game developers have always had a different um, view on the, the role of community and their creative license in relation to their game. Uh, and I think a number have been hugely supportive, but a few of perhaps um, the more popular games have tried to shut creators down too, which has kind of forced the environment to become almost exclusively let's play focused. And quite frankly, this is really quite tedious stuff. And, and it's led to thousands of videos of basically absolute drivel that you still call machinima. Uh, I think one of the most interesting communities to emerge alongside the machinima creators was actually the modding community and that kind of um, took a back seat whilst all the energy went into the to watching the stuff because I guess that was easy to do and modders have really been challenged to come up with with things that are accepted not just by users but uh, by also um, game developers because these things are perceived as hacking the game and some do that some enhance um, the gameplay experience and some actually help you do things with the game beyond simply playing it, like viewing it in a different mode um, or being a virtual camera, for example. Um, but generally, I think the modders had a really rough time when it comes to Machinima because actually they are some of the most creative folks in and around games. Um, but also their plight is a hidden one. And that's uh, because they don't often get mentioned in any of the films that they're used in, any of the machinima films that they're used in. So they're totally hidden. Um, and then you have to jump to the legalese side of things related to games. Um, for example, I sus um, suspect the reason why we've never really seen the release of episode two of Adrift, uh, which was, as you recall, made in Star Citizen, is because Robert Space Industries updated its T's and C's on how uh, content could be used um, but it, when it when it did that, it basically limited any potential creativity for suggesting uh, that characters which appear similar to whatever that upcoming version is would be violating um, the rules. So what you're now seeing is basically Let's Plays from this world too. And it's a pity because it did have some really interesting potential as a story world. But that kind of seems to have just sort of disappeared over the I period of time between they introduced those T's and C's. And it's not to say there aren't people doing stuff. There are, but it's not the same sort of stuff. And I think as a counterpoint to this, engines such as Unreal have been really quite incredibly supportive of, of the development of creative of creators and, and also the development of this sort of pipeline, which actually directly addresses many of the issues Machinima creators originally had. Unreal Engine, as it as it um as it is now, if you remember. 
um, it came out of um, an original tool set called Matinee from Tournament. Um, but I'm also reminded, actually, and because I was looking back at this, um, some comments that Kim Library made about the role of Machinima as an inspiration for Epic's developments in Unreal Engine. And he said that actually what inspired him was the crossover he'd seen in the Team Fortress team at Valve whilst they were building their tool source. And what, what Epic wanted to do was make this, um, this tool set that they were creating, uh, make, make, the, make, make it so that um, creators could access something that gave them better visual quality. Um, so that was their mission um, when they started to think about how to replace Matinee. And, and basically they did that and decided that they needed to make it more user-friendly. Um, and that's when they came up with the sequencer tool that's in Unreal. And I would say it's Machinima that's driven them to make these tools, which they intend basically to, you know, they're, they're purely designed to improve the quality of the outcome. And then the other aspect to bear in mind here is that Library was also um, really keen that Epic embeds what he said were the principles of the industry that Unreal is now in, uh, built upon, which is basically, it comes from ILM Special Effects. And their mission, um, is is basically that they're trying to make or give everybody access tools to these special uh, access to these special effects tools. Um, so that's 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 where I think things are, have come from, if you like, and why I think it's still important. Um, does that step away from games? Yes, I think it does. And does it professionalize the content? I think it does that too. But does that matter? I'm not really sure that it does um, because I think what's happening is that. As these kind of worlds of game and film and special effects collide, all of which are being made using Unreal, so then we'll get new and very interesting creative products and also creative developments. And I say that because Unreal, one of the things that we saw this last year was Unreal actively supporting the development of a modding community, which I think is still rather nascent at this point, but one which is certainly um, something that I think we should be following too, as it begins to sort of progress and 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 build so um yeah i agree with you ricky i think we should be looking at other forms of machinima that's embedded in game engines but i think we should also um follow what's going on in this community with unreal engine very closely because i think there are some of the more interesting tool sets that are emerging with a with a goal being to support creators across the, the breadth of different platforms that's my view Wow, I don't think I can climb over that mountain of words. And I'm Sorry. Gonna try. <laughs> yeah, I've had a lot. Of, you, well, you asked the question no. earlier, and I had a bit of time yes. to think about it. <laughs> I got it. I got it. No, as usual, you have some very excellent and interesting points. And and essentially, I don't think we need to worry about it. It was just a question that came to my mind. I mean, people are going to watch more traditionally made machinima, and people are going to watch Unreal. And we're going to cover them both here, so there's no real conflict in, in it at all. But I do think you can, um, I, I do think you can make Machinima cheaply, open source um, tools like DaVinci Resolve for editing and, a, you know, a 1999 game and a $10 capture software or free capture software. I think you could do it. It's, it's basically the, uh, the imagination and ingenuity of the people that you want to. And also I think more traditional machinima has been individual focused or very small team, one or two people. Phil's recent experience uh, making that great film that we talked about last time is an example of more traditional machinima. No, we've moved on. That's a different world. Games are different and, and I understand that. So I do see your points. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah so quickly uh what are your thoughts on the my criticism of the story aspect of the voice in the hollow i do you know what i think you're spot on actually i hadn't i when i was watching it the thing i picked up on was that some of the um there was kind of a something didn't quite gel in terms of the characterization and what was going on and the voices and and it was that that i picked up on but you know you uh. picked up on another aspect so as ever, I think our collective review of it is a really enriching experience for me. So thank you for your points. Sure thing. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Uh, 
it, it didn't bug me the way that it did you, Ricky. I did I I did perceive what I'll just kind of lump together as some ambiguities. Um, but I I don't know. Maybe I just have a higher tolerance for that. I think it would be unforgivable the things that you noticed that were missing or didn't quite fit. It'd be unforgivable in the context of a novel, for example. Unforgivable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A short like this, I for some reason I just gave it a pass, even though I'm I'm I tend to fixate on uh, um, those same details when it comes to story, Ricky, and I'm I'm kind of demanding in that regard. But I, I it didn't bug me with this film. I I observed that some things were unexplained. It didn't really strike me about the proximity of the village to the, after you said that, it's like, oh yeah, that that is kind of strange. Uh, I think I maybe just excused it as, well, it's old world. Nobody really knows where anything is yet. They're all just, so that's probably laziness on my part, to be honest. But um, yeah, it didn't, I, I, I noticed some of the same things you did. It just didn't rub me as wrong. I, I for whatever reason, just forgave it um uh without much effort not because it was so visually good but but i think i just i expected with the length of the film that it's not going to answer every question and that my my imagination gets to play with that as a result and i tend to like that in shorts um um, i try to do that in 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 my own work as well um with varying degrees of success, I think, but with some of the short films that I've done over the years, Obit is an example. There's a lot there that's not said or or really filled in or explained, but that was it was kind of on purpose. And some of the answers, if someone were to ask me, well, what's the story with this this guy? Where exactly did he come from to come down? I don't know. Yeah, but I didn't I didn't even answer that for myself, you know. And again, <laughs> unforgivable if you're writing a novel or or doing big story craft but, but the, for a short this thing is the antagonist it yeah. is the antagonist in the story it's not just ambiguity in the backstory of somebody we'll see but, but, but the thing that causes them to to propel them into the tragic action unless it was imagined unless it was just her own envy speaking to her uh, which ultimately is what impelled her her horrible action was envy. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I just interpreted it in a slightly different way that it, it, the the monster, if you will, being a literal presence or being or character, it, it, to me that was non-essential um, because I think I was entering into this to the story with that kind of Cain and Abel background, and it's about this is really about an unhealthy envy between two siblings and less about you know some demon making her do something i I didn't feel like her her behavior was excused at all i felt like her ultimate the ultimate judgment imposed on her by the climax of the story was pretty brutal right for for a momentary lapse of of passionate judgment but Ultimately, I felt like, well, but she was responsible. I didn't, I didn't at all excuse her behavior for the voice because I felt like that could have just been something within her, and the the physical pit was really just a. My point was that that her behavior wasn't excused, Mm -hmm. but it was ameliorated so that she could still remain a sympathetic character. Yeah. The. That way she could say it was influenced. It was influenced. Had she never met this thing, never became involved in it, would she ever have gone down that path, that tragic path? I don't think so. Well, I I, I see your point, but also looked at in a certain way, Kane, Kane is a sympathetic character. If you know the full story and the, the, remorse and regret and consequence of his action in that archetypal story of the the one who murdered his supposedly good brother um kane is even though you know kane just acted on his own like you said there's nothing in the in the original story to indicate that he was tricked or influenced or whatever he just did it because he wanted to like you said but then you know people do bad things that they wanted to and then 
it's horrible. Uh, as uh, I, I've, I've read a lot and listened to a lot of uh, Jordan Peterson. And one of the things as a clinical uh, psychiatrist that he says is nobody ever gets away with anything ever, never. They never really do. And to me, so I think I was bringing that. I say okay. to this story. I yeah. Yeah. But if, but if, if the original Cain and Abel story were retold by this group of filmmakers, the devil would have been about a block away from Cain yeah. and Abel's apartment <laughs> right. or, running, or running the nearby, you know, grocery store and progressively convinced one of the brothers that the other brother was an asshole and deserved to die. That's how they would have done it. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, yeah. I picked up on the, the cave being near the tribe as well, Ricky, and it, it kind of stood out to me. But then there's a minor spoilers for the first few minutes of the film. So if anyone wants to watch it, uh, stop listening now and, and come back later. Um, she has that first encounter with the spirit at the cave. And then this other character comes along and shouts at her. And it kind of draws her back into the real world and she becomes aware. The other character sees the cave. Like this is very evil looking sort of spires coming out of it. And seems completely oblivious to the fact that this is somewhere evil. And it made me wonder if perhaps the spirit inside only speaks to pe certain people that it thinks it can influence. And then if it doesn't think it's got any chance, it just is just um it hurts people and that's so great that's great damien i love that um because you know because when that other character appears in the shelter i thought they were going to say get away from the evil cave and it wasn't like that at all it was about we're going to head back home now and you should come with us or something along those lines and i thought well yeah that could be it because the tribe they're completely oblivious to it because it hasn't affected anyone on that tribe until the the main character of this story and she was the first one to encounter that spirit in a way that the spirit liked what it saw in her and knew that it could have some kind of impact there. Because um, none of the other characters seem to be that bothered about it at all, like Ricky said. So that's the only thing that came to my mind was that was it. But again, See, I, would, I would argue that's a good that, point. Ricky, I would argue that the maybe ambiguity isn't the right term, but that's what I'm going to use anyway, uh, leaves this story open to three, maybe four here, uh, different takes on it. Yeah. And they all work. Like me having my view on the film doesn't take anything away from, from what you got out of it and, and interpreted and Damien as well and Tracy as well. And to me, that's good. That's, that's a, a well-executed short. Not that there's nothing to criticize. Of course, there can be, you know, but um, I like that. Whereas a story that answers all the questions, there's not really much to talk about, except how did they execute it? Okay, they did it. Great. But it doesn't leave you. This one left me thinking afterwards. I, I watched it the night before our recording here, and it's been on my mind all night even through going to the theater and watching another movie, I was still thinking about this. So <laughs> I, I, I appreciate that. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I was caught up in the story and the, the, the quality of the story and everything. It's very high. Hmm. Um, but from my perspective, the glaring story problem made it difficult to appreciate fully. And I think it's typical of VFX people jumping into a story in which they get genius, very high level craft, but they just miss some obvious things. I and think I that think, criticism is very fair. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think, I think making the point that you have to have everything make sense. I don't think that really works in that, in this context, because like I said, this is the antagonist. It's not really even a character. They should, if they were going to have it as a major part of the story, influencing one of the major characters, they should have given it a backstory. They should have set it up like, like what what um, Damien just came up with, which is not in the film, but which you could draw from it, but it's not in the film because they never say anything about it. But if it was something that only appeared when people were susceptible around it, would would solve the problem but they never thought of that 
it's really they funny, you know. They made it, it convenient. Yeah, well, it's really funny that you say it because online I've seen another description of what it is, and I'm almost. <laughs> Do I you actually got... tell you this? <laughs> yeah, you got to tell us that. You said it. You had to tell us. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, as as far as I understand, this sort of mysterious end entity is actually the m morning star and the bestower of gifts that can grant the uh, the character or the the person coming near the cave a wish. Well, and we know what Morningstar's significance is in in this uh, um, this literary tradition. Um, of course, is the other name for Lucifer. Um, and doesn't I think even when it introduces itself, it kind of makes some kind of reference to that, if I remember right, about the star the, of morning. The morning star, yeah. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you've got to kind of know that backstory a little bit, haven't you? You've got to kind of know that. Hmm. Anyway, well, interesting conversation about it. And Absolutely, a great, a great choice, Tracy. Really, really great choice. I, I hope you follow them, this company, and let us know about any future work that they do. Absolutely, great. Well, thank you, everybody, for your thoughts, and um, I hope you check this movie out. You will be very happy you did. If you have comments or ideas about some of the things that we brought up, especially vis-a-vis -vis the uh, um, new unreal style of high craft level versus the old traditional machinima. Let us know. Talk at completelymachinima.com. And don't forget our news blogs. Uh, lots of interesting news going on there. Some really good stuff. Tracy's been doing a bang up job on uh, interesting topics, especially recently the controversy of AI generated art in particular. Um, so thank you very much for listening and we will be back with you uh, next week for another interesting film. I think it's my pick next week. So Absolutely. we'll be talking about that. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.